Hey, hey, welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast, the fastest growing podcast in women's health. Today's Monday, November 13th, 2023. As we've been doing, we are sending love and support to all of our listeners in Israel. We are all praying for the quick and safe return of all of the hostages and for all of you. For today's podcast, Jackie Ashry returns to tell her birth story. Jackie, along with her sister Claudia, hosts The Morning Toast, which is a terrific and wildly popular daily podcast. Last week, which was Jackie's birthday, Jackie came on this podcast and we spoke all about her career. Today, Jackie is going to tell her birth story, which I had the privilege to be a part of. I am sure you are all going to enjoy it. Big thanks to Jackie for coming on the podcast and for introducing so many toasters to this podcast. Just this week, I saw a patient... And when I introduced myself, she said, hey, are you the Dr. Fox who does cerclages? I said, uh, sure, I do them. Why do you ask? She said that she heard all about me on the toast. Love it. So welcome to all toasters. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Feel free to search through the older ones for topics or birth stories you might like. If you have suggestions for future topics, you can send us an email at hw at healthfulwoman.com. All right, reminder for everyone listening on Apple or Spotify, it would be awesome if you could rate this podcast, preferably with five stars. Also, you can email us any questions you have for our mailbag podcast. Again, the email is hw at healthfulwoman.com. Or you can go to our website, www.healthfulwoman.com and click on the link that says, send us your questions. Also, if you want to pre-order the book, Emily Oster and I wrote, The Unexpected. We have a link on our website. Take a look at that. The book actually comes out in April. All right. Thanks for listening. Enjoy Jackie's birth story. Next week, we have a mailbag podcast with me. Have a great week. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. All right, Jackie, welcome back to the podcast. In the last podcast, we spoke about Jackie the professional, Jackie the human, Jackie the book writer, podcaster, celebrity, and all of that. But I want you to tell your birth story because it's awesome. It is I'm involved, obviously. This is how we got to know each other. But I think it's an amazing story. I know that your listeners have had a chance to hear it in several ways. But number one, if they're listening, they didn't have a chance to have me ask you about it, which is different. It's true. And also my listeners, not all of them are yet toasters. I'm sure they all will become or are already. But, you know, they'll have a chance to hear your birth story as well. So you ready? I'm ready. It's amazing. So take me back to your first pregnancy, right? Let's start there. Talk to me about that, what was going on, which is when we met for the first time. We met during my first pregnancy, which as far as pregnancies goes, was probably the most average experience. You know, I had a little bit of everything, a little Mm -hmm. nausea, heartburn, but everything was very kind of like textbook, like a movie, even the way like my water broke when I gave birth and I gave birth at 39 weeks and two days. I, I didn't like love pregnancy, but I, I didn't hate it. I was Mm -hmm. uncomfortable, but not anything crazy. So I actually thought it was like a a very relatively pleasant experience. And I was like very grateful for that. I met you because we did some genetic counseling because you're a high risk 
pregnancy doctor. Yes, I am. So considering my experience was so average, we wouldn't right. have met otherwise, right. except for the fact that, you know, as Ashkenazi Jews, we do genetic testing. Zach and I like had to get our results explained to us by a genetic counselor right. who was you, who was the best genetic counselor to be like, this is nothing to worry about. Mm-hmm. Move on. Enjoy. But when we did have that meeting, I guess someone who worked in your office was a toaster. Right who told you that I'm a podcaster, that she loves my podcast. And then you told me that you did a podcast too. So that was just, you know, we connected over that. So that's what made you different from my other doctors and Mm -hmm. maybe me different from your other patients. Right. And you had given me your phone number to like, if I had any pregnancy questions along the way, I think I texted you a few times, like, could I have a hot dog? Could I have a turkey sandwich? Right. Yes. Yes. But beyond (laughs) that, like, I don't know that I saw you again in my, I think I saw you one more time in my pregnancy. Oh, and I did have a bigger question for you that we talked about. But that was it. And it was really, you know, pleasant. Right. Yeah. No, that was my recollection, too, that we we met. We definitely connected over the podcast thing. I was I was a, a new podcaster. So I hit you up for some advice, I think. But I just thought it was cool, like to meet someone who does this, you know, for a living, basically. And we connected again medically. It was pretty straightforward. We spoke about a few things. And then ultimately, I just, I guess, heard from you or from your doctor, whatever that you delivered. Everything was well and everything went great. And as you said, pretty straightforward delivery of your son. Yes. Also, your practice wasn't my primary Right. right. We weren't your OBs. You were right. just my imaging center. Right. Exactly. So my OBs were at a different practice. So I really right. wasn't around that much. Right. Right. And so, so what happened after that? After that, I became a mom. Mm-hmm. Wonderful experience. Um, the, fir- the first is just, it's crazy. It's just trial by fire. It is. It's a, it's a big change. It's a big change. Yeah. And it's, it was great. Probably when my son was Seven months old, we moved to Florida, which was always our plan. Mm-hmm. And it was nice living there. He's, right. you know. Why was that your plan? To get out of the city, we uh-huh. always wanted to do. There are a lot of things about Florida that we right. really liked. My sister had moved down there mm-hmm. and that was where we were were starting our lives. Right. Okay. So you moved to Florida and now it's hot and you're down there it's and it's all good. Ha- it's all good. <laughs> and then when I'm nine months postpartum, like I want to get pregnant again. Mm-hmm. So my husband and I get to work on that. Mm-hmm. And in late November, I became pregnant with my second son. Okay. And the beginning of my pregnancy was the same as before, pretty much down to the point that I knew that I was probably having a boy because my symptoms were so similar, like mm-hmm. at the experience, like just fatigue, nothing crazy, you know, morning, all day sickness, really, but nothing really. It was pretty uneventful. I would just like text my mom like, oh, mm-hmm. he's a blueberry today. You know, he's a yeah. raspberry. Just yeah. like quiet, whatever. We love comparing things to food and particularly fruit. Yeah, that's our thing. We're big with fruit. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> it's always fun to see what fruit you're going to be this week. Yeah. So then what, what was it like just in general, your experience with healthcare in Florida versus what it was like for you in New York City before it hit the fan. So I had heard and from you that healthcare in Florida was very different and less way less personal than it is in New York. So I kind of had that expectation going in, but the OBGYN that I was going to, she seemed really nice, but mm-hmm. also but because I had like a previous pregnancy and I kind of knew how to feel and right. what to expect. I didn't have like a ton of questions. I didn't really need much right. other than like, you know, right. vitals, weight. Yeah. You're like an OB's dream. Like someone who had second pregnancy where the first one went uneventful. You're like a piece of cake. Yeah. Like, they see a hundred of you a day. It's the greatest. Yeah. It, yeah. Like every appointment was, you know, just routine. Yeah. yeah. And then I had my 20 week scan. So it's a growth scan. And when I got that, I went to an MFM, right. which was my first time. Probably going- anatomy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
It was my first, you're right. It was yeah. anatomy scan. Yeah. It was my first time going to that MFM office right. in Florida. Right, to get the ultrasound. To get the ultrasound. And I remember when I used to come to your MFM, they just used to look at my belly. Right. So when I got there, she was like, we're going to do transvaginal first to check your cervix. I was like, I don't remember ever taking my pants off at the mm-hmm. MFM in New York. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, why? And she was like, check your cervix. I was like, okay, sure, whatever. And so she goes in and like, it's really quiet and <laughs> it's never good. I didn't know what the cervix really did at that point. Okay. So I wasn't really alarmed. Fair. She's, you know, looking around, like double checking what she's seeing, blah, blah, blah. She has to like go and get, actually, no, she went to go tell the doctor something. She's like, I'm just going to tell the doctor. And then she came back in and did the rest of my scan, the mm-hmm. anatomy scan, which takes like 20, yeah, abdominally, which yeah. Take, took about like 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. So I'm laying there wondering like what was it about my cervix but really and i got a little worried of course and your mind goes to like the worst place but i i couldn't conceive of what what it could be that would be like really maybe something was at but there are plenty of things that go wrong in pregnancy that aren't a big deal it's just like something to note were you there alone i was with my husband okay so i'm just sort of laying there i don't i'm not a big like talker so i'm just you're not a big you're not a big talker no (laughs) Oh, I know I talk for a living, but it's funny. It's like uh, sometimes yeah. I'm just like so, especially when I'm doing stuff like that, I just yeah. kind of like retreat into myself yeah. and think. And yeah. so I was getting like worried, letting myself like think the worst. But I actually think she said your cervix is short, but I didn't know what that meant either. Right. So You're I'm like, like, well, I'm short. Right. Yeah. So I'm sitting on the table. She's doing the rest. I'm like cervix short. And I guess that's not good, but I didn't know what it actually meant. Right. So I'm worried and I'm anxious. And then she like starts like huffing and puffing while she's doing the scan. And she said, it's like, cause she was wearing a mask. I was like, oh, just take it off. Like, right. And in hindsight, like, Dude, we're in Florida. Yeah. Take it off. <laughs> in hindsight, I, I think she was getting like stressed out for mm. me. She's doing the scan and like worried, worried for okay. me. So then we finish the scan and then the doctor comes in and she's telling me how my cervix is short and that I should get on progesterone and that I'm going to need a pessary and that I'm probably in labor. And everyone at the office was really nice, but I think they thought I knew more about what it meant to have a short cervix than I did because I didn't know anything. I'm like, so I was like, oh, okay, I'll think about those things. Thank you. Because I'm not a really huge, like, I don't want to take medication when I'm pregnant. And yeah. what's a pest? Like, no yeah. thanks. But I'll think about it, you know? Right. She was like, no, you need to do those things today. Like, you're at three millimeters. And I was like, well, how could my cervix be so short? And her theory was that I was already in labor and that I had put myself in to labor by doing too much with my son, which I really was doing a lot. So of course I was, and I had just had that thought two days before I was like, he's big. And I was like picking him up a lot. And you know, you can do some of that when you're pregnant, but like not, you shouldn't really exert yourself in such a way. So I was thinking, oh, wow, maybe that tracks because I've been doing a lot and and now I'm in labor. You know, I never, I never knew that part of the story. So she told you not only that your cervix is short, but that it was your fault. Your cervix was short. That that was one theory. Everyone also said a theory is that I, my pregnancies were close together, but they all said that's probably not it. Okay. Fair. So yeah, that it was pretty much like my fault. I just had like push myself too far and terrific. put myself That's into terrific. put myself into labor, which shortened my cervix. So um, on the one hand, I'm trying to absorb all the information, but I really, it took me a while to realize like how dire the situation was. Like a short cervix means that it's about to open and I'm about to give birth right. if it doesn't stop opening. That's what you're, that's what that's the impression they left you with yes and right. i'm 20 weeks along so if right. i give birth like 
Yeah. It's, it's a, a disaster. Mis- yeah, it's a miscarriage. Right. Right. So she had said, you know, sometimes for situations like this, we put a stitch in, but you're too far along. And, you know, considering you're like in labor and probably having contractions. And I was like, I don't feel contractions. And I had horrible contractions when I gave birth to Harry. So I was like, I think I would know if I'm having a contraction. She said, I probably wouldn't feel it. There might be like mini contractions, but I'm likely in labor. So for that- Micro contractions. Micro contractions. (laughs) So for that reason, I'm not Mm -hmm. a candidate for a stitch. Okay. I still hadn't like heard more about this stitch. And I was kind of glad to not be a candidate because I I don't want to have surgery. So. I'm like on the phone with my mom in the office, like crying, trying to understand what this means. She also called my OBGYN to have the OBGYN say to me, like, no, you need to do those things. She, today. she the doctor, not she, she your mom. She the doctor, right, okay. the MFN, called my yeah. doctor because I had yeah. met my doctor a bunch of times sure. before at that point. So I trusted what she said. And sure. she was like, no, you can't go home and think about it. Like, right. you have to get the pessary today. Right. You have to get on progesterone. Right. And the doctor in the MFM office was pretty optimistic which to her credit, like she was optimistic about my odds doing pessary and progesterone. And she was sharing like a couple like hopeful stories for me. And she was letting me know like all the milestones that I would have to hit. But she was like total bed rest for you. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't pick up your son anymore. Like you can't get out of the bed. Just kind of like go home, close your legs, do your progesterone, keep your pessary in, say a prayer. Right. Hope for the best. And stay in bed for the next five months. So like I was shook. And I went home to do that. And throughout the course of the day, I'm just like replaying the events in my head. I'm on the phone with my mom trying to understand what this means to like not have a cervix. Like how quickly does it dilate? How much time might I have? Like if I, even if I give birth early, like how early, what are my chances? Like we're doing as much research as we can. And your mom is your, your medical spiritual. She's my advisor advisor. for everything. Right. Got it. So she's your consigliere. Yeah. So we're trying to like piece it all together together. But I start the progesterone and I have a pessary in. She also prescribed me a medication Mm -hmm. to stop my contractions. But she had mentioned that, that the medication was like not as routine as progesterone. And I didn't like that. So I was like, you know what? I'm not going to take this until I feel a contraction. And she was fine with that. So I never took that medication. Got it. And then that night, actually, it's to their credit. Again, the place emailed me my images from the day. Because I'm sure usually people are excited to get those pictures. Right. And I saw the picture that raised the alarm bell of my cervix. And I was just like, I wish I had someone who understood these sorts of things that I could send this to. And I do have two aunts that are doctors and I asked them for medical advice all the time. And when I'd sent it to them, they were like, it was kind of out of their wheelhouse. They're not OBGYNs, but they were like, three millimeter cervix, that's zero. You have no cervix. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, okay. So then I'm like, you know, I wish I knew an OBGYN. And then it, I realized like I have your number, Dr. Fox, who mm-hmm. I met in my first pregnancy with Harry. Like maybe I could ask him to just take a look at these pictures and tell me what he sees. Mm-hmm. So I texted you and called you and I like briefly explained the situation. And you said that you would look at it and you were like, whoa, you need a cerclage. So from there, you were helping me find a doctor in Florida who would see the situation and give me a cerclage because you were like, it doesn't make, I was like, I'll come to New York. You're like, it doesn't make sense because then you would need the rest of your pregnancy care in New York and it would be better if you find someone in Florida. Right. So that night you found me like a really good doctor through the grapevine who got me in the next day to not see him, but someone in his office. And so I went and I'm still at my 20 week anatomy scan phase. So they have, they do the transaginal and the whole scan again. 
And the transvaginal, they couldn't see that much because I had the pessary in already. Right. And she had wanted to maybe take the pessary out, but the practice doesn't, they don't really like do pessaries at that practice. So she didn't have a fresh one to put in. She was like, I could put the old one back in, like we could clean it and put it back in. I'm like, I don't love that. Yeah. Seemed like a lot of muchkering, which is a word. (laughs) It's a medical word in my family, which means like futzing around with things. I just don't know like how many times you want to go in there and- It's muchkering. Right, because muchkering is a lot less precise than futzing. Yeah. Yeah, it's different. Muchkering is like more futzy than futzing. Got it, got it. Understood. On the the futzy scale, it's higher. No, I get you. I get you. So I didn't really want her to take out the pessary because they didn't have fresh ones. And you had said the night before, like, did the doctor at the other practice, like, look with her eye and if you're dilated? And I was like, no. So we were going to this doctor for her to look with her eyes so that she could give me like kind of the go ahead to get the cerclage. Right. And this doctor like felt with her hand, my cervix. And then she like, we went to her office and she was like, I can feel this, the amniotic sac, like, and basically preparing me for like what was going to happen right. next. There's nothing she could do for me. I'm not a candidate for a cerclage. Because your cervix was open. Because my cervix was open. It was her her theory that I was two to three centimeters dilated already. And so like now I need to go home and prepare myself like mentally to give birth very early. You know, she was saying how 24 weeks is viable. There are hospitals in Florida that will, that 22 weeks is where you have to get to and and they will like help your baby. So she was like, if they'll you, try. They'll try. So she was like, if you want to like drive up to Jacksonville, mm-hmm. Her whole, like, it was just bad news. So at a certain point, I couldn't hear anything else. It's like, if this is going to end terribly, I just want to be home. Like, right. I I understand. Like, so I'm so beside myself because I'm not a candidate for the surgery. It's actually worse than the doctor yesterday said it was because yesterday she told me three millimeters and that pessary and progesterone could get me somewhere. And today she's telling me I'm already dilated and there's like no help for me. And again, it's it probably was the same cervix, meaning when I saw that picture of three millimeters that, okay, when you put an ultrasound probe and take a picture, it might look like three millimeters. But if you put in a speculum and look with your eyeballs, you're probably already dilated, which is why I said, I think you're probably already dilated. You need a cerclage. And so when you went the next day, they confirmed that you were dilated, but then they said, because of that, you can't get a cerclage. Right. Right. Yeah. That's like just, you know, in their medical opinion, I'm not a candidate. She also said, you know, I could get the surgery and then it could get infected and I could get sepsis and be in the ICU and die. That's pretty pessimistic. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> it was rough. <laughs> yeah. So I go home. I didn't really, I don't know that I called you immediately because I was just like, this is it. You know, this was Dr. Fox's doctor and and he said this and two people are kind of saying the same thing. Like, just go home and cross your legs and stay in bed. So then you followed up. You're like, what did they say and I told you I was like I'm two to three centimeters so I'm not a candidate and you're like you're two to three centimeters so you are a candidate like we do this surgery all the time right and you called the other doctor who would have done the surgery if I if I had gotten the green light and you guys just had a difference of like medical opinion just do things differently right and so I don't know if it was your idea or my idea that you were like if you come we'll do it tonight right I mean I basically said I'm sure there's someone in the state of Florida who is good at this and would do it and we'll do it and we'll do a good job, but I don't know who they are. Yeah, we don't and, know that. And, and it may take days to get in to see them. And this is a serious situation here. Yeah. And so I said, you know, if you were in New York, I'd be doing it tonight. Right. And so you're like, I'm coming. And so I was <laughs> like, I'm coming. You know, I pack up. I, I thought about it for maybe like 30 more minutes weighing like pros and cons of, you know, not doing anything and 
trusting like the pessary mm-hmm. and or going to New York, getting the surgery, which is also a risk because there are risks involved with like, it could rupture my sack. It could, I yeah. could be too far gone. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's, it's not, it's not risk-free. I mean, it's, it's not like unicorns and rainbows. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a serious situation. It's an operation. It's a lot of skill and it's, it's hard and doesn't always work out. It doesn't work out for everyone, but you have two options. You either place it or you don't place it, right? That's mm-hmm. it, right? And if you, most of the evidence shows that if you don't place it, you're probably going to either lose the baby entirely or deliver a very premature, very sick baby. Yeah. That's again, not definitively, right? We're not, we're not gods. Like we don't, can't tell the future, but that's what the likelihood is. And if you place the stitch, it's possible you'll lose the baby, but the odds are much better of you getting further along. And I think we spoke about at the time that in our experience and a lot of the literature, the odds are pretty high. You're going to get at least past 32 weeks, which is premature, but they typically do fine and hopefully even better. Yeah. And so at that situation, unless someone just says like, I'm out, like I didn't sign up for this. I don't want the pregnancy anymore. Your best option is a cerclage. That's really it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I was headed. I wound up, I called, like I, I asked like a, a couple people from their opinion, including that original MFM doctor. Mm-hmm. I was like, by the way, I went and, and they put me on a contraction monitor at the second doctor to confirm right. that I'm not in labor. Right. So I was like, by the way, I'm not in labor. Like I, I was on a contraction yeah. monitor and there's a doctor in New York who s- says like, I'm a candidate for the surgery. Like, do you think I should go? Cause she was a nice lady and like, yeah. you know, and she was said no, that she, I was like, and then why? And she was like, cause I don't think it will work. So, okay. I had that in my head. I can't, that's, it's so strange to me, but okay. I mean, yeah. whatever, whatever. So, okay. I had a couple people like saying, you know, just take it easy, stay in bed and, you know, trust the process, but I'm just a crazy bitch. And mm-hmm. I was like, I like when I get something in my head and there's like, I, I just have to do it. Mm-hmm. So I packed up my family at that point there. I'm still, I'm on bed rest. So I can't be like, you know, running through the airport, trying to catch flights is very stressful. Like, you know, so I'm trying to find like a seat on a p- private plane that would go, but there's not enough seats for like my whole, it was, actually there was only one flight like out from South Florida to New York. Cause by that point it's like four o'clock yeah. and there was only one flight down. There's only one seat. And it's like, well, what if I go into labor yeah. on the plane and yeah. I don't have my husband with me? Yeah. Like I can't do that either. So then I'm trying to find a whole plane. And right. my sister and her husband had already been in Florida cause it was Passover. They right. were at my house for Passover and her husband found a plane that could take off 30 minutes later, like so close to our house, mm-hmm. straight to Teterboro. And we all packed up and we went. Yeah. So I landed at Teterboro probably like eight o'clock, eight thirty. I was texting you like the whole time because I was going right from Teterboro to Mount Sinai for the surgery. Mm-hmm. I was still like not even sure, you know, I might show up and I might be too far gone. You had said that yeah. I was like really like, dilating still so it wasn't a given that it was going to happen for me and checked in triage all that jazz finally get on the table probably like midnight is when Mm -hmm. we did the surgery i mean we want to we want to make sure that there was no signs of an infection we want to make sure we confirm you weren't in labor like you know we have to like we said make sure everything's okay and then we said you know we're just gonna give you a spinal and epidural so that way we can do an exam that's thorough and really, because I didn't want to start mucking around or what was the word? Mutch-gering. I don't want to much go around and triage and you're going to mean pain. There's no, like, let's just do this right. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's like midnight, go to the OR and then tell me it was like on your end. And it was like on my end. Oh, wait. Okay. So we go into the <laughs> OR. We're waiting. So your story, not mine. Yeah. No, but I like hearing from your perspective. Yeah. And you also like probably remember some things more clearly because it's very emotional for me. And you know how memories could be mm-hmm. warped. 
So where I'm like on the table, you know, bat style, yeah, legs yeah, up. Yeah. I've had the anesthesia and everything. And we're just sort of waiting to see what you see. Like right. at, how dilated yeah. am I? Like, is yeah. this a possibility? And then you said I'm one to two centimeters yeah. dilated. And it was it's such a relief. So then right. you guys. And also it was, you were dilated, but I remember vividly, I was like, we can do this. Like, this is not, this is not going to be a technically complicated procedure to do. Sometimes it's very, very technically complicated, but for you, I was like, I was, and I remember saying like, we're going to do this. Like this yeah. will not be a problem. Yeah. Whether it works or not, you know, obviously it's in God's hands, but basically from a surgical standpoint, I was like, thank God, like this is not as bad as I thought it might be. Right. So that yeah. was like the first huge relief. Yeah. That I could get the surgery. I remember just, you know, I, I, I'm like, when I'm going through something, I'm, I'm very like quiet, introspective. And I just try and like be reflective and like not very, there's times where for panic and there's just times for prayer and right. just tr like yeah. trusting the process. So at that point, like I just am trying to like get through everything and the surgery was 30 minutes ish. Yeah. And you said it was a success and yeah. that this it, like as much as I could have, you know, just got like textbook surclage, like I, right. like it, it was. Right. So that was the first huge relief. Yeah. Getting well, I forgot it the, besides checking that you were not contracting, contracting that you were not affected. I also had to clear it with your mom. Yes. That was yes. the other part of the preoperative checklist. Yes. Of clear course. with Jackie's mom. Of course. Yeah. She gave me the, she gave me her bracha. She needs to play <laughs> by play. And it, when I got, came out of the OR, like Zach FaceTimed her immediately yeah. and you told her like all, all is well, yeah. you know, we did it and it's, it's yeah. looking good. So now after that, then there's like a few like kind of checkpoints I have to pass yeah. along the way, you know, a few days to see that I don't get an affection right. to see that I don't go into labor. Right. And then after two weeks, I will have my follow-up appointment where you will look at the stitch right. and see how it looks. Right. Yeah. So I had to get to that two-week right. appointment. Right. And the recovery from the surgery was like, was kind of fine. It reminded me of postpartum recovery, yeah. you know, with all the like... Some cramping, some bleeding. Cramping yeah. and you know, disposable underwear use yeah. all the same products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sure. Perry bottle. <laughs> but it really, it was, it was pretty right. fine. And then we're just like waiting to see, waiting to see. So after two weeks after the surgery, I came in for my checkup. And you went in there with the trans vag and, you know, you're looking around and it's not like what you're, you're not enthusiastic. And then it's like, mm. okay, well, why don't you come into this room? Cause we have like a better yeah. scanner in here. And along the way you were like explaining it's, it looks a little like off to the side. I just want to, first you did a, what's it called with speculum, a speculum one. Yeah. And you said it felt great. Yeah. So I was like, okay, so it's, so it's not terrible in there, right. but then you went in with the transvaginal and then you, it was a little bit quiet, but I, I wasn't so pessimistic because for the speculum one went well. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I can be patient. You know, Yeah. obviously I came from like such dire circumstances. I can't expect that it's all going to be perfect. Yeah. So you then sat Zach and I down and you explained that the the stitch kind of pulled through a little bit on right. one side of my cervix and it wasn't holding the way it should be holding. Right. Your cervix was felt fine, looked fine. And in fact, on the ultrasound, the cervical length was fine, but it was apparent that the cer the cerclage was not in a perfect location that sort of it and this happens sometimes the cervix is so thin when we place it, it pulls through, like tears sort of through the cervix. And so it's not, it's doing its job temporarily and maybe it'll hold the rest of pregnancy, but it might not. It might not. And so it's interesting because it's actually 
not only is there it's there's some controversy about placing the cerclage, there's a lot of controversy about checking afterwards with ultrasound the placement. We we do it because we think it's a smart thing to do to make sure that we'll be places where we it's supposed to be. Not everyone does that. And so I was pretty confident that, you know, you're only 22 or 23 weeks. The cervix looks okay, but let's let's redo this and just go back to the operating room and do it. And that happens. It's not, you know, not, not a lot, but it definitely happens, especially if you're dilating to put it in. And then we did it a second time. And then after that, it was picture perfect. Yeah, but it was still like everything. I could never just like for the next five months, like holding my breath yeah. for five months, every appointment. I think I was in this office once a week. There was a week I was here five days in a row. Like yeah. Yeah. literally always here. We're like the toast for you. Yeah, even <laughs> like doing the second. It took me a few days to go right. decide to like do it again because yeah. that was a, another decision that I had yeah. to make. Like, do we want to do it again? Ultimately, like I decided yes, and that was also your recommendation. The recovery from the second surgery was the most painful thing. More painful, I think, more painful for sure than birth recovery. Mm. It was in two weeks of like abject pain. Yeah, I remember we spoke about that. I was yeah. like, oh my, I, and thank God the first one wasn't that painful or else I honestly mm -hmm. don't know if I would have been able to do it again. Yeah, what, what was it like emotionally going through the pregnancy? I mean, I, I can oh. tell you what my perspective was, but I'm curious what yours was. I'm curious what yours was. <laughs> I'll tell you after. <laughs> but it was really just having to take everything one day at a time, holding my breath every single day. Like, you know, the, those first few days before I got the cerclage were like, all over like shock. So never, mm -hmm. re and then I had a surplus and I could be, I was like ca calm waters for right. two weeks as long as everything was going okay. And with every day, like I'm getting closer to viability. So like every single day is a milestone. Every week was a milestone, even getting to 22 weeks, you know, there's that yeah. hospital in Jacksonville yeah. that would help yeah. me yeah. then getting to 24 weeks. And it's yeah. like, okay, I have a baby now. Right. Like, so, and then 28 weeks, I know some, someone who I'm really close with is 28 weeks he was right. born at, and you would never know. So right. like everything was 32 weeks. My niece was born at right. 32 or 34 weeks. So like every single week was like a huge milestone, but I never could exhale until surclage removal day, which yeah. was at 37 weeks. So it was just like living like so on edge, you know, every night going to sleep and being like, am I going to wake up in labor? Right. Especially because then in June, I didn't share this on the show because but this added like a mm. level of precariousness because after the second cerclage and then I came in for my checkup and it looked gangbusters. Yeah. Like we have a cerclage and I was enjoying life. You know, now I moved to New York because yeah. now you're my doctor. That was another huge, like there were so many just huge things going on, like mm -hmm. finding a place to stay, moving everything. Like I have one baby already. Like it's just a lot. And maybe some of that stuff actually distracted me from the medical stuff in a good way, like just keeping me like really busy and mm -hmm. having a lot of things on my mind. But the month of May, like I really just got to enjoy being pregnant in New York. I, the whole month of April was like, I'm on, yeah. I, I'm recovering from surgeries. So I'm going about my life. I'm doing a little bit here and there still like not lifting my son or anything, but you know, I'll do my show because in the studio and maybe go to lunch. Mm -hmm maybe go to a brunch on the weekend, nothing crazy at all. And then in June, I came in for one of my checkups and you guys do that feeble fiber nectin test. It came back positive. Yeah. And it came back positive. And after that, I put myself like back on bed rest. Mm -hmm. I'd gotten a little ahead of myself, I felt. Mm -hmm. And so that sort of like set me back a little bit in like a, a mentally and also in terms of like what I could do. And then the next few months were just about like waiting, hitting milestone, waiting, yeah. you know, fingers crossing, praying. And holding my, like, I just uh, holding my breath until I gave birth. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, 
you definitely looked a little bit like someone who's holding their breath. Yeah. You know, at every appointment you could sort of see the low level of terror in, yeah. in the eyes, which is fine. I mean, that's appropriate. It was a it was a scary situation. It was it was not you know it was a rocky pregnancy. There's no doubt about it. And I felt that you were quite appropriate. I mean, you were you were both scared, but also not overwhelmed in a certain sense. And you you know were very rational. And you always, you know, are trying to make good decisions, sometimes a little emotional, but normal, like as yeah. you should be. This is a very emotional time. And I felt that my role was a little bit more to be reassuring because things were actually going very well, objectively. You're still pregnant. The cervix still looks good. It's still closed. The circulage is in place. We're going every, like you said, every week, every week, every week. Over the course of those weeks, the mood kept lightening because yeah. the 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 stakes were getting lower each week because we sort of knew that every week was good and you know, by the end, we're just sort of like pulling out calendars to figure out like when to take out the circlage, yeah. when to de deliver the baby and all that stuff. And it got a lot more smiley in a certain sense. I mean, you're always very pleasant. You're you're a very pleasant person, but it was, it's hard to see someone who's scared. I mean, that's what I do every day, you know, but it's always hard. But I remember I told you on, when I came on the toast, that, you know, I thought you were great. I mean, some, you handled it really, really well, the balance between like being scared, but being informed and asking questions, but not being like sort of irrational in a certain, like you were very, yeah. you were very grounded, I think very focused, which I think was great. Ultimately, what was, after you delivered and had this big, fat, healthy baby. <laughs> oh yeah, that yeah. was the plot twist. The whole time <laughs> yeah. I'm like worried about having this preemie, pre you have like a 16 like pound baby. baby. And yeah. I had a baby that was nine pounds, five ounces. Right, and you're like, you're like nine pounds, seven ounces, which is so pretty, I mean, I guess that camp worked. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, what was, I'm just, I really want to hear, like, what was it like afterwards? Cause you had such a crazy pregnancy, unexpected, emotional, scary, you're flying different states, you're being told you're going to lose the baby, all this stuff, operations. And here you are with this big, fat, healthy baby. What, what was it like for you on the sort of looking back on it? The first week of like having Charlie was the best week ever. Like I was so happy to, you know, no longer be mm -hmm. pregnant, to have this like have my baby with me. Being a mom for the second time came so much easier to me. Breastfeeding came so much easier to me. Like I just, I felt like it, everything was more intuitive and I knew what I was doing and like, I, I, I couldn't bring me down. Mm -hmm. Then it just became a little stressful because when Charlie was like eight days old, my other son got sick with mm -hmm. a fever and we're in an apartment and I'm like right. so worried about Charlie getting sick. Right. And I'm like, I just, yeah. I just exhaled. And now I'm like, and I'm, I'm trying to like take care of both of them and change my clothes in between. And it, it was like yeah. not, so that kind of brought me back down to earth. But then Harry was, you know, he got better. And now I just like get to enjoy motherhood and not have this like thing hanging over my head and doing it for the second time. Like I've just found it to be like, um, like a dream. Wow. That's amazing. What, what do you take away from all this, from your story? Like what big high level lessons in your life have you thought about or learned or one impart on others? So I think it's really important to ask a lot of questions, to get as many opinions as you can. I, I feel so fortunate that like I know like that I knew you and that I had you as a resource and it makes me like sad for other people who just have their doctor, maybe live like somewhere in a smaller town where there's just one doctor and this is the opinion and like you don't know mm -hmm. where else to go. So just question everything, even if what you're being told is 100% correct and that it's your fate. Like there's no harm in asking questions and seeking other advice. I didn't really even realize like how different 
medical opinions could be. There is not one way of doing things. So, and I've always been that sort of way, like mm-hmm. just very inquisitive, like, okay, well, I want to know more and more and more. Trusting my gut that like, we're going to come to New York and I'm going to give it a shot. And just a lot of prayer, like you just can't, it's just so crazy because you have all this going on, but you have to like be, sh- you can't lose yourself. You can't like just sink, you right. know? Right. It's amazing. I, I, I mean, your story is, is awesome. I honestly haven't thought about it in since I, I don't know. I, I'm also just like a weird because I'm, I'm a very rational person. Mm-hmm. And of course I feel, and I'm, I'm also very emotional sometimes, but I never really make emotional decisions. I, I really, and it's not even like by consciously, like I just, I, I'm just a rational thinker instead right. of emotion. And sometimes it works my advantage and sometimes it doesn't. And then since, you know, I've given birth and everything, I just haven't really gone back too much and thought about it every once in a while. I'll like look at, Charlie and be like, oh my God, like, you know, everything that we went through together. And I really sat home for four months while everyone else like did everything else. Right. And you uprooted, you, know, you uprooted your whole life. Uprooted my whole life. I was on bed rest for and like so we've just been through so much together, he and I. He was in there, you know, getting much good yeah. and surgeries and this and that. So I'm just like, I'm so grateful that with how it all turned out. There were a million ways it could go. Even if it wasn't terrible, it could have been, yeah, you know, midway not what I wanted. So for it to have like turned out the way that it did, like I just, it's a lot. Yeah. Listen, I, I'm, I'm so grateful that you texted me that day. I just, I, I care about you and I shudder to think what would happen if you just went home and crossed your legs (laughs) and where, what your life would be like now and how different it is. And again, I'm not, this is not toot my own horn. There's a lot of people who do what I do. I think I'm good at what I do. I think my practice is good, but there's a lot of us. And this is, it wasn't the craziest situation on earth. We didn't do anything that hasn't been done before. People do this. And just to think that just by chance, you were by people who didn't do that. And they told you advice that said, go home and pray and it's not going to end well. Whereas if you had been somewhere else, they would have put this in and it would have been like a non-issue, not a non-issue, but it would have been whatever, a rocky pregnancy that ended well. And just sort of like the sliding doors uh, of your sliding life, doors. you know, yeah. and just, and how awesome it is and how beautiful this baby is and how happy I am for you that it worked out and that you did decide to text and come up and have the surgery and have the second surgery and do all these things that it's just, I mean, it's amazing. It's just, it, it brings me such joy. I mean, I'm sure you know, it, like it, it's so cool. Like that's why you do what you do, you know, for yeah, stories like this. Like, that and not, not liking to sleep at night. <laughs> so true, which is why you've also added a podcast to your plate. It's it's all good. It's all good. No, but listen, people get to hear your story and people get to learn from it and people get to enjoy it and sort of go through with you both the heartache and the joy and everything like you do every day with your podcast, but yeah. there's a little bit of a different format and a little bit different audience. But thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman Podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw@healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options 
for an effective treatment plan.